You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everybody. This is episode 17 of Mission Lab. My name is Sean Brace. You hear my voice. You don't hear Camille's voice. And there will be no other voice coming to you here uh, during this episode. It's just me and my story. Because a couple weeks ago, Camille and I in our episode talked about the power of story. And one of our faithful listeners and good friends, Jim Mello, who has been on this podcast, said, hey, why don't you guys share your story? You talked about Uh, the power of story. Maybe your listeners would enjoy hearing it modeled as well as just, you know, enjoy getting to know you better. And so over the next two episodes, Camille and I will be sharing our stories. It's just me this week. No one's going to be interjecting or asking questions. Ideally, uh, it would be nice to have other people, but uh, Camille is not with me today. Next week, it'll be her story. I'll be interjecting, asking questions as well. But um, so just This week, I'm going to briefly share with you my story, and really the most powerful part of my story is the ordinariness of it, if that's a word. Um, In many ways, my story is very, very, very ordinary. There's no grand Damascus Road experience. There is no incredible conversion story. There is no like going from the gutters to going to, you know royalty or whatever. It's just a very ordinary story. Um, I was born to a set of parents that I consider to be the best parents in the world, very loving, very kind. My dad is a pastor. I've mentioned before, he's going to be on a future episode as well. My dad is a pastor, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I was born in Massachusetts um, in 1981 in a town called Stoneham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Uh, It was in a Seventh-day Adventist hospital. We have a number of Seventh-day Adventist hospitals around the world. In fact, we have the largest Protestant healthcare system in the world. Uh, I had two older siblings, my sister Corey, my brother Rick, and uh, I was four and a half years younger than Rick, uh, who's the next, you know, the middle child. Uh, Spent my first, um, well, basically my whole formative years in Massachusetts, went to uh, Seventh-day Adventist elementary school, went to Seventh-day Adventist high school, uh, really had a great childhood, uh, really did a lot of, of awesome things with my family. We went on vacations a lot. We have this place in uh, Nova Scotia, my extended family that we go to every summer. That's a long story. Uh, very, very important part of my formation as a, as a person spending time with my extended family. Um, we look forward to that every year. Uh, but I, I, I had a really, really good childhood. So I, again, in that regard, it's kind of boring. Um, but I think it speaks in many ways to the power of God's grace and how he is able to, you know, by his grace, keep people, um, you know, relatively free from major catastrophe or drama or trauma or, you know, major rebellion. Now, the reality is, of course, that, you know, in our own way, we all have um, 
a rebellious streak. And uh, this is not to say that, you know, I didn't. Um, I guess in many ways, as I look back on my childhood, one of the themes that ran through it, though I don't necessarily know that I was conscious of it at that time, was in some ways I was somewhat of an anxious child. My mother would tell you, she, she loves to tell the story that, you know, she couldn't leave me alone in the mall until I was like 12 or 13 years old. Like one time, you know, we went to the mall when I was, I don't know, 11 or whatever. And, and she said, okay, I'll see you in an hour. I'm like, what do you mean? You're going to let me go by myself. And, um, so I was kind of always anxious and scared and frightened. And, um, I get mentioned in, in our episode about introverts, extroverts. I, I think I was kind of a little shy, uh, in many ways. And, um, I was always creative, always writing. I never liked to read until I was about 17. My parents thought I was never going to read. Um, I ended up reading a book when I was like 17 and then I could never put books down after that. But, um, I tell people a lot of times when I was in high school, I went to a seventh day Adventist high school, my freshman year of high school, I moved away from home and went to a seventh day Adventist high school in Stoneham where I was actually born. And, um, that first year, my ninth grade year was probably the hardest year of my life. Uh, being away from home, having to deal with peer pressure, not giving in to peer pressure because I was always scared to get in trouble. I always kind of wanted to do the right thing for whatever reason. And I think even though it may not have been the right reason necessarily, it was still, again, a testimony to God's grace because he, he, um, he you know, kept me from getting into you know, anything that was bad or, um, you know, whether it was alcohol or drugs or, you know, girls. Now I really, 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 really liked girls. And that was part of my problem because, you know, I was so serious about girls that, you know, I probably scared them away. And, um, like as though I was ready to get married when I was in ninth grade, you know, kind of type thing. Um, I like to tell, as I was saying, I like to tell kids when I talk to them in high school that I was basically so focused on three things in high school, basketball, sports in general, um, music. I was in like a little garage band. We wrote music. We brought this band together. None of us knew how to play any instruments, but we got together and, and started learning and then girls. And that was like, I was so obsessed with those three things. Uh, somewhere along the way though, God again was sustaining me, was gently drawing me. When I was eight years old, by the way, I was baptized very young, got baptized with my brother and sister at our lake in Nova Scotia. Um, so some, somehow God was, was leading through all that. And, uh, again, it was just a very ordinary, you know, um, long journey of, of kind of going deeper and, and deeper into God's love. Um, it was not this, this moment that it happened, it was kind of like slowly unfolding, um, like I said, journey into the heart of God. When I was uh, a senior in high school, I decided to, uh, I decided I was going to go to Andrews University in Michigan, which again was a Seventh-day Adventist college. Um, I kind of, for a while, wasn't sure what I wanted to major in, but I, I kind of always in the back of my mind knew that I was going to go into ministry. And, uh, people who knew me when I was a kid always, you know, they would say to this day, oh, he was such a good kid. We always knew he was going to go into that. 
you know. Um, but it took me a little, a little, you know, a little bit of a weaving journey to, to, to decide on that. But I always, I guess I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I was going to go into pastoring. So I went to Andrews University in Michigan, was a theology major, was not a good student. Um, I was mediocre, really. My first couple of years was very involved again with sports. I got, uh, I started a Christian band. I was writing Christian music, you know, guitar, drums, all that. Had aspirations to be this famous, you know, Christian contemporary artist, kind of, not really, but sort of. Um, and then after my sophomore year of college, I took a year off and I always had it in my mind that I was, I was going to go to Scotland and be a missionary in Scotland. Um, I just had this romantic picture in my mind about living in Scotland and, and, um, I had been, I'd, I'd had the privilege of traveling quite a bit when I was younger, my dad going and speaking in Russia, spending time in England, Germany, those types of places. And so I just always had it in my mind. I would go to Scotland and the reality is it was a really, really, really tough and hard year. Now I probably would do it all over again if I had the chance, but it was really, really hard because I basically did nothing. Um, I was supposed to go there and help kind of revive this church that had just been closed. And um, soon after I got there, the pastor I was supposed to work with uh, moved and another person I was supposed to work with retired. And so it was like uh, 10 months of really uh, struggling to figure out what to do. I just like stayed in this apartment or flat, as you call it, in the UK. Um, I arrived there just a week before September 11, flew out of the same airport the terrorists did. And that was a very, you know, challenging time being overseas when that all happened, you know, not knowing what was going to go on back in the States, my family there, uh, not, you know, who knows, maybe I'll never be able to get back there, whatever. Um, but even though it was a challenging year, that was actually the time where I really, really, really fell in love with Jesus and the gospel. I would uh, listen to sermons by uh, various preachers that really, really, really had a really good grasp of the gospel. I would read a lot of books. People would send them over to me in, in Scotland. And that was probably, you know, as I look back, many times I say it was a hard year, but in many ways it was a very, very formative year spiritually. And I I guess I learned to really rely on Jesus. I mean, I was 20 years old in this foreign country. Like I said, I literally flew from Logan Airport to Scotland, not knowing a soul, and um, get off the plane. And, you know, I meet a guy for the first time, just 20 years old. Uh, so I really learned how to... Uh, rely on, on Christ. And, um, so when I went back to Andrews university for my junior year, um, I, I returned with a renewed, uh, interest in spiritual issues and really a lot more focused on my, my studies before I was a very average student. After that, I was a very focused student and, you know, almost got 4.0 last couple of semesters. Um, I hadn't, dated seriously any girl, really. I mean, there was just kind of casual dates in high school and college, even though I was very 
focused on these things. Uh, soon before I went to uh, Scotland, I had read this book talking about, hey, just it's not worth you know just casually like fooling around with your dating, like date with a purpose, and you know you don't want to play with a girl's hearts. And I could go into stories about how I I was on the other end of 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 you know being romantically unkind to a couple of different young ladies that I kind of strung along my freshman year. And I just said, I don't want to do that anymore. So I stopped, you know, dating. And then, uh, to make a long story short, after my junior year of college, I, I worked at a summer camp, uh, in Maine, which when I was growing up in Massachusetts, when I was 13, I started going to the summer camp in Maine. And that was pretty much what gave me the bug for Northern New England and Maine, um, so I worked there and this young lady that I had known from high school, she went to a different high school, but she went to a, another seventh Amos high school and my high school, greater Boston Academy and her high school, Pine Tree Academy, we would get together for different conferences, different events, play basketball against each other. A young lady named Camille Truby. We don't know exactly the time we met, what day it was, where we were, what the circumstances were. We don't remember anything about first meeting. We were just friends for a long time. And in fact, we would double date with different people. She dating, you know, dating somebody else, me dating a friend of hers. Um, and so she worked there. I, it, it was my sixth summer working there. She had come there for the first time to work, even though she was from Maine. Her brothers were working there. And really, we saw each other in a different light for the first time. Um, and basically, you know, she'll no doubt unpack that a little bit more. But uh, we started dating. Um, she transferred to Andrews University. I had one more semester uh, that year as my senior year. She transferred there. When I was uh, my last semester there as a theology student, I wasn't sure what I was going to do uh, after so I started sending my resume out to all these potential opportunities and every single one of them sent me a letter back saying, sorry, you know, thank you for sending your resume, but we're not interested. I was about ready to go back to uh, the Andrews University to the seminary to get my master's degree. And about two weeks before, I had a pastor mentor friend of ours um, say, hey, there's this opportunity in Vermont just for one year. Would you be willing to go? And uh, I said, absolutely. Went there, just had one year. It was a wonderful, wonderful intro to pastoring. Um, it was, you know, I couldn't do anything wrong because you're just there for a year. And then after that year, Camille and I got married um, the summer of 2005, July 17. We got married and we returned back to Andrews University. She had been at Andrews during my whole year in Vermont. Uh, we returned to Andrews University, went to seminary, loved the seminary, absolutely loved the studies, the classes. It was then that I probably really understood that, um, I I don't know, this may sound funny, and again, I mean, I mean, I'm just being a little vulnerable, so maybe I feel funny saying it, but I don't know that anyone ever told me that I was, I had any level of intelligence. Now, I'm not saying that anyone told me I was stupid, but I don't remember anyone affirming that I had some level of intelligence. And I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world, but it was when I was in the seminary, I'd always liked writing. I'd always been a big writer. And so um, when I was in the seminary, 
it was then that I, I started really sensing that, you know, I had some level of intelligence and that, that gave me a certain confidence that I think I was lacking before academically. So I did really well academically in my seminary studies, um, graduated from seminary, got my first real pastoral assignment in New Hampshire, had two churches there that I was overseeing, one in Vermont all at the same time. And um, just in the interest of full disclosure, it was a really, really, really challenging situation. We were there for three years, lots of really um, dysfunctional things going on. I won't get into all that, you know, but um, I was to blame for no doubt plenty of what happened. Um, but there was just, you know, as, as happens sometimes, um, some really complicated and dysfunctional things going on. Despite all that, Camille and I really felt like God was using us there. And, uh, I don't go into all the details, but we felt like God was on the verge of kind of turning things around in our ministry there. And at the one of the churches specifically. And then right around that time, I got tapped on the shoulder by my administrative body. And they said, uh, maybe you should go to Bangor, Maine. And we're thinking Bangor, Maine. The only thing I knew about Bangor was Dysart's truck stop. Um, we would pass through it every summer to go to Nova Scotia for, uh, our family vacation. And we'd stop at Dysart's and I never even been in downtown Bangor. It was just like this place way up in northern Maine, you know, where there was a bunch of rednecks. Sorry to those who are listening from Bangor. That's what I thought. Um, although I will say that when we moved to Bangor, I ended up, we ended up moving. We, you know, we, we stepped out in faith and we came here, which has been one of the best decisions of our life. But honestly, when I, when we moved to Bangor, I had a little culture shock because I had never lived in a place in New England that was kind of like conservative politically. We had gone from Hanover, New Hampshire area, where it's very, 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 very socially liberal, politically liberal. I grew up in that type of environment in Massachusetts around Boston. When we came to Bangor, I was like, oh my goodness, these people are like pretty conservative. I I noticed so many churches compared to any other place I'd been in, uh, in New England. And I was like, this is like the Bible belt of New England, which I still maintain it is to a large extent, like Northern Maine. Um, now it's definitely a lot less religious than most other parts of the United States, but it was just, it was a little bit of a culture shock. It was right around the first Barack Obama election, I think. And I, I remember distinctly thinking Hanover, New Hampshire is like Barack Obama country. Bangor, Maine is Sarah Palin country, if you remember Sarah Palin. Um, so it was it was a little bit of an adjustment, but um, at any rate, we were here, and then something interesting happened. Even though we felt really, really, really embraced, and we felt like it was a really healthy environment, especially compared to where we had been, um, about a year or two after arriving here, I started feeling really, really restless and it was strange because I had never felt that type of restlessness and I couldn't figure out what it was all about. I was like, okay, is God trying to tell me, hey, it's time to do something else? And I was like, I'm not sure if this whole pastoral ministry thing is what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I should be a youth pastor. Maybe I should be an evangelist. Maybe I should 
you know, be a teacher. And I started really wrestling. And to make a long story short, we felt convicted that God was leading us to uh, maybe go into academia or or leading me to go into academia. And I felt, you know, I really have a passion for theology and academia and scholarship. And so to make a long story short, I started preparing basically for the next two years to try to enter into a PhD program in Old Testament studies. And really for like two years, I was really, really, really focused on that and really um, to some extent, and I've shared this with my congregations, uh, kind of checked out of pastoring and I was kind of on cruise control. And, uh, you know, as I look back on it now, it's kind of ironic because um, there, you know, I, you know, some of my members probably were fairly, um, they could, they probably could sense it, but there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, uh, uneasiness expressed by my church members. And, um, it's only now to make, you know, to jump ahead a second that I've like been all in on pastoring that people are now like starting to feel uneasy. Cause then I wasn't upsetting the status quo, but now I am. So it's just funny. But anyway, I tried to get into some really, really, um, accomplished PhD programs because I wasn't going to pay money because we didn't want to go into any more student debt. And to make a long story short, after two years, um, it uh, didn't work out. I applied to places like Harvard, Duke, Boston University, where they would pay me to go. And it didn't work out. And which wasn't terribly surprising considering my credentials. Um, You know, when you're trying to compete against people who have like 12 years of Hebrew at like Harvard Divinity School versus me, who has two years of Hebrew uh, at this place that probably nobody's heard of. Um, when I say Andrews University, they say St. Andrews University. Uh, but I thought maybe God could work something out. Uh, he didn't open those doors. And um, my, hope, my plan all along would be to try to apply for two years, you know, two straight years, because a lot of people do that when they don't get in the first year, they apply the second year. I remember the last rejection letter I got, I was, um, I was really despondent and, and discouraged. And I was in my, uh, in my room upstairs, uh, praying, pouring my heart out to God. And I had been reading this book that is my favorite book outside the Bible called steps to Christ. And it just happened to be that day's reading. It was on prayer. And basically the author said, you know, when God does not answer your prayers as you think he should, we're not to lose heart because God is too wise to give us what we think we want, but we don't really need. And he loves us too much to withhold from us the things that we really need. And so I literally read that the day that I got my last rejection letter. I opened up that. It was the next paragraph. And I was like, ah, oh, peace. I got peace. God's got this. He's in control. Um, so I started reevaluating though. I was like, okay, but we were kind of checked out of Bangor. We we're like, okay, we're out of here. It was a hard winter, one of the snowiest on record. And um, I was like, we're, we're out of here. But again, as I started wrestling and I started praying, started asking God to lead, I just, I just had this under this underlying and overwhelming sense that God was not done with us in Bangor. And, um, I didn't know exactly what that might look like. What I did know 
was that it wasn't going to just be the same old, same old. Um, and that's you know something we can talk about in a future episode about what the role of a pastor is. Uh, but I sensed that God was doing something, you know, that he hadn't been doing before in, in my ministry and in my life. And I just had this peace and I knew that God was, was doing something awesome. And, you know, that's been two or three years now. Uh, we originally thought, as we shared in episode one, about planting a new church. And we started down that path and we realized that God was doing something different. And that turned into what we're doing with this whole missional community stuff and um, trying to do discipleship and serve our community, bless people that are in our lives. And honestly, the last couple of years, while there has been challenges, um, has been easily the greatest two years of my ministry. And I've been pastoring for, uh, I don't know, 10 plus years. And it's easily, easily been the most fulfilling, most enjoyable, most satisfying. I know some people might be listening right now and thinking who know me and are members of mine. And they're thinking, oh boy, but what about us? Um, but, you know, I, I just, I know that God is working and God is on the move. And, uh, you know, it's a process. And that's been one of the things that has been most important in my journey is just being patient. And, um, knowing that it's not going to happen overnight, um, you know, we're, we're trying to change the culture of our church in Bangor. And, uh, they say it takes three to five years to do that, um, to kind of change directions. And we're basically in the middle of the second year. Um, and you know, it, there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of bumps and bruises. I firmly believe that when we come through the other side that it's going to be something really, really awesome and beautiful and people will be, um, people will be fulfilled and happy and satisfied and feel loved and feel valued and feel like they have a purpose and feel like they're making a difference. It just takes faith and trust in the Holy spirit. And, um, the reality is, you know, when I lose patience, I, as I've mentioned before, it all comes back to my value in Christ and, and my significance and importance, uh, in him, um, that I am valued and appreciated by God. And even if my ministry doesn't succeed, even if everyone's upset with me as a pastor, even if I never, you know, impact someone's life and, and see it, that God is still a God of love and he still cares about me and he still values me. And even if I get to heaven and it's me and him and nobody else is there because nobody came to Christ because of my efforts, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh man, I'm no good. I'm going to say, man, I'm loved by God. He cares about me. This is worth it. This is good enough. It's all about God. Um, now, absolutely, I want other people to experience that joy, uh, but I just have to be always grounded in the reality of, of his love for me. And as I've said before, I didn't realize how insecure I was until I started pastoring. And, uh, it took a few years for me to recognize that it took a few years for me to understand that growing up, I probably was attention seeking so much and trying to get people's approval and, you know, through my music or through writing or through preaching well, or playing, you know, being the best player on the basketball team or whatever. Um, it's, 
you know, it's an underlying insecurity that I just have to keep bringing myself back to the cross and, um, you know, accepting the fact that I'm loved, that I'm lovable and, and I'm precious to God. And so that's, that's basically the story, um, in a nutshell, there's many other parts of that story, but the common theme and thread throughout it is God's love and grace and his sustaining power. And, uh, there are so many times where I've, I've recognized that God is, has been merciful and he's, he's kept me from, you know, getting off the straight and narrow. Not that, you know, I'm perfect or I'm sinless, but, um, but God has been so merciful to me. And, uh, so that's my story. I hope you were blessed by it. Camille will be sharing her story in our next episode. If you have any questions for me, I'm, I'm eager to interact. If you have any follow-up questions about my life, whatever, um, I love to, you know, have conversations with people about anything theologically, spiritually, you know, emotionally. Uh, so just reach out to me and, uh, Email address is seanbrace at gmail.com. But um, I think maybe if I haven't said enough, too much already, let me just add this. I feel like I've now finally figured out what it means to be a pastor. And I've I've always loved really deep theology and academia and scholarship, but I've just really recognized a lot recently the incredible importance of connecting that with everyday life and especially from the faith community that we're a part of sometimes we make it very abstract we make it very propositional we make it very theoretical and um, I used to thrive on that but I feel like now I really have started to be able to connect that good stuff and that important stuff about God with how to you know explain that in the context of everyday life. So um, praise God for mission, because mission has really, 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 really been pivotal in that development in my life, because you really, really start doing theology when you um, are on mission. So, and one other thing, I know I'm going on here, but I do have three children. I love them. I've never learned more about God as I have since having children, and I love them. They're the there's no, no better experience than being a parent. And um, I know I'm tacking out here on the end. I'm just kind of rambling now. Nobody's here to stop me. Camille isn't stopping me. She's not here. So I could just go on forever. But that's my story. And uh, hopefully it was a blessing. Hopefully you can learn through my story how to share your story in a way that, um, that you know, recognizes the real, um, the real power that has been involved in the whole process. So thank you for listening. And uh, we look forward to hearing you again, having you hear us again next week on Mission Lab. And have a great week. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.